If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Pat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we mentioned in the last episode that uh, I am retiring from my day job and you and I are just going to do this podcast full time from now on. Right. Though, to be clear, I've thought of this as being your day job and your other thing being your side job for (laughs) some time now. So did those who employed me. Yeah. Um, So here's the thing. We mentioned that uh, that was going to happen. It has happened. But one of the things that we forgot to tell you is we're moving. Well, I mean, I don't think we forgot. No, we just didn't. Didn't just we just didn't say it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's still there are still people in our lives who are learning of it. So yeah, that's true. It's um, yeah. So yeah. you the, we're moving. We're moving from Bangor, Maine, uh, to Orlando. Yeah, we're relocating the show to Orlando. <laughs> You were talking about getting a new license plate that says BGR to MCO. Right. I'm not going to. Not but. now. Now that I've mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to anyway. Oh, okay. But, right. You were just um, teasing me with a great idea. Well, okay, no. Fine. Yeah, I mean, I've always said if I was going to get a vanity plate, it would just say it's. It's a Monty Python thing. <laughs> but yeah, we're moving to Orlando. It's going to be amazing. There, It's the number four best city, according to Forbes magazine, for vegetarians to live in. And we're going to be hitting the road the end of August. And what we thought would be fun is take you guys on the road trip with us. Mm. So we'll be uh, checking in with you from time to time from on the road. We'll be doing some episodes from on the road. Um, and then we'll be doing like special uh, updates to the patrons on Patreon. So it's a good time for you to become a patron. That's what I'm getting at. Patrons always get our weird travel updates, yeah. <laughs> which sometimes are just us like way late again. Yeah. Well, not just that, but weird stuff that happens in our life. Oh, well, sure. Which often involves travel because right. we like to travel. Anyway, I'm ready. Are you? I'm ready. Here we go. They were the rock gods of the 18th century. <laughs> They played to packed venues filled with screaming fans. People would line up overnight, sometimes waiting for days. 
in order to get tickets for their shows. Groupies would sneak backstage in an attempt to, uh, you know, have a little fun, spend the night. You said in the 1800s? 18th century. In the this 18th was, century. Yeah, this was the early 1700s. They were the biggest celebrities of their time. They were the opera stars oh. of the early 18th century. Let me paint a picture for you. Please do. It was an autumn night in 1734. This is actually, this happened. This is a historical account. It was at the King's Theater on London's Haymarket. It's a hot night, but it's standing room only. The great opera star Farinelli is performing. As his last notes reverberate off the rafters, uh, the upscale audience explodes in frantic applause. He strolls casually to the edge of the stage to take his bows. In the front row, a high society woman who would normally be very reserved hysterically screams, One God! One Farinelli! And then faints. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like Beatlemania. It really is. Beatitude mania. Beatlemania. Like rock stars today, many of them didn't use their real names. Uh, and that was the case with Farinelli. His real name was Carlo Brosci. He was probably the most famous opera singer uh, during this uh, this period. Without doubt, he was the rock star of his day. His performances were accompanied by hysterical fans, mostly women, who screamed all the way through his performances. <laughs> they'd see him in the streets, they'd mob him, they'd rip his clothes. He commanded huge sums of money for his live performances, and he was considered a threat to the establishment. He was a bad influence on the younger generation, is what people said. Uh, <laughs> um, he was very much like a modern rock star, with one big exception. Uh, he was castrated. What? Whoa. Yeah. What? Yeah. Why, though? <laughs> he, he was actually one of many, many castrated opera singers at the time. They were called oh. castrates. Was it or like castrato. thought that it would improve the way they sing? Yeah, or create at least an interesting sound. Um, and I'm sure it does when one's being castrated. Uh, castrati were opera singers who were castrated before puberty. The idea was to preserve, preserve their youthful boy-like singing voices. And as they gradually grew into men, their voice developed into a, a very unique sounding um, instrument. That is terrible. It produced an exquisite sound that people of the time fell in love with. Now, this actually began in the 16th century. And, and people were cool with this process? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. The, you know, sometimes the your days. Yeah, the your days. The your days were vile. Yeah, you can have your days. Uh, the practice, as I said, began in the 16th century in Italy. Castrati uh, could be found singing in choirs, even in court. They had them in court. Uh, they performed also at the Sistine Chapel. Now, they were used to hit the high notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they needed men that could hit the high notes. Now, yes, there were women that could hit the high notes, but it was forbidden for women to sing in church. So they'd rather cut their balls off. Wow. Then let a woman sing in church. They became so popular uh, by the early 18th century that uh, there was rarely a performance of an Italian opera that did not feature at least one castrati. And it was like an advertised yes. thing? Yes. Oh, like yeah. They, okay. Yeah. Wow. It was a craze. And it reached its peak in the 1720s and 1730s. 
That is horrendous. <laughs> not only not only was it known, commonly known, but a common phrase used by audience members alike was, quote, long live the little knife. They were, in effect, praising the tools that had, uh, you know, castrated the men that created these unique voices. Yay, child abuse. It became a status symbol to be a castrati. It's thought that 4,000 Italian boys were castrated each year, all in the name of music. Now, oftentimes the castrati came from poor families and they... You know, they thought right. they well, didn't worry about their family lineage no. continuing. No, they as long as they could be used for entertainment. Right. They thought that their sons, it would, you know, hope they hoped one day would find success and prosperity and bring that back to the family. But Farinelli was from an upper society, wealthy family. History records that uh, some, including another celebrated star, Caffarelli, requested the procedure himself as a child. He went in and said, yeah, please snip, snip. Even though it was incredibly popular and respected to be a member of the castrati, many in the 18th century felt, yeah, you know, genital mutilation of young boys might be a tad distasteful. <laughs> a music historian uh, named Dr. Charles Burney traveled all over Italy. He was trying to find out where it was that they were performing these castrations, but no city would admit to it. Ah. Yeah. He wrote, quote, I was told at Milan that it was at Venice, at Venice, that it was at Bologna. At Bologna, the fact was denied, and I was referred to Florence, from Florence to Rome. From Rome, I was sent to Naples. As the procedure itself was not practiced openly, it was often done in, like, back rooms and alleys, uh, little evidence exists that would give us a complete idea of exactly what the procedure was like. But there are a few things, a few historical elements and some speculation, which might help bring back uh, the scene. Historians speculate that the operations were probably conducted by village barbers. Oh, wow. And it is true that Barbers frequently did perform minor surgeries. That's right. They had the sharp instruments. That's right. Sweeney Todd. We do know that the boys were typically castrated between the ages of seven and nine. They were typically given opium before the procedure. Well, at least there's that. But if they didn't have opium, they would just choke them until they passed out. Oh, God. That's so dramatic and terrible. They would then put them in hot bath water and perform. I'm not going to go into detail exactly how it's done, but you know, you know how it, you know. Yeah, I bet I could figure it out. There were a few records and diaries kept of the procedure, but we don't know the exact numbers because castration was a very dangerous surgery. Many boys are believed to have not survived the uh, process. Oof. One of the side effects for those who did survive was that their joints did not harden due to the lack of testosterone. This gave them very long limbs and ribs. It caused the uh, castrati to be, in many cases, uh, very tall and barrel-chested. And they thought that because of the barrel chest, that also added to the unusual, unique sound of the voice. Right. After they were castrated, these little kids would then receive rigorous training in singing schools. Hopefully, they gave them time to heal first. Sure. They were given little time to play. All they did was study and sing. But just going through this was was not a guarantee for success. Right. Some of them never performed. 
some would eventually make it to some choirs and things like Mm -hmm. that. And of that group, a smaller percentage would get to the professional opera stage, usually by their teenage years. But only the best of the best became superstars. Those who didn't even get into the opera uh, were sent to church choirs, kind of like... um, the minor league for castrated boys. Right. I was thinking when you said that the the children didn't really do a lot outside of singing and whatever, I thought of, you know, like people who train their kids to be Olympians. Right. And, right. you know, you're going to jump rope camp. I don't know. Is jump rope? <laughs> I don't watch the Olympics. You know what was an Olympic event that is no longer an Olympic event? Maybe if they had this today, it would uh, help improve the ratings of the current Tokyo Olympics. Hmm. Um in the 1900 Olympics in Paris, uh-huh. poodle clipping. Poodle clipping. Poodle clipping was wow. an Olympic sport. I, you know, what just I, one time though. I think that would be very interesting. I, I want to learn how to groom dogs, so <laughs> maybe I could just watch the Olympics? Question mark. So Farolini was by far the most famous of the castrati's, and there were a lot of them. Uh, he was showered with gifts. And portraits were painted of him countless times. His skill was unsurpassed. There was one famous occasion where he was challenged to a contest by a trumpet player, and he could hit higher notes than the trumpet player could. Wow. Yeah. Many in Britain saw him as a dangerous, degenerate figure. Because? Well, see, the thing is, these guys were so famous. You can understand why some men in society at the time were jealous because these guys had fame and fortune. You would think that they would feel somewhat secure in their sexuality Mm. because these guys had been castrated. Not the case. Ironically, they were seen as a sexual threat. Women were so enamored with these guys, it caused great tension. Uh, History describes these, quote, groupies as lavishing the castrati with gifts and affection, a popular thing to do at the time was to wear a medallion, which had a portrait of your fam- favorite opera star. Oh. Kind of like the, uh, like an 18th century band t-shirt. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> the thing is, many high society women looked at the castrati as the ideal candidate for discreet liaisons because there was no risk of pregnancy. Right. So rumors started circulating that not only were these guys proficient lovers, but they were exceptional lovers. Some even believed... Well, they have those long limbs and (laughs) barrel chests. In the barrel chests. (laughs) That is so hot. Some even believed that they they had enhanced sexual performance. There was even a poem written about it in the 1730s. Put on your headphones. Oh, okay. (laughs) If you would, please. Well-knowing eunuchs can their wants supply and more than bragging boasters satisfy, whose power to please the fair expires too fast, while Farinelli stands it to the last. He was a stud. Oh my. By the late 18th century, the glory days of the castrati had passed. The last uh, great operatic castrato was a guy named Veluti. I'm sorry. I just real quick, can I... Just applaud your production value there <laughs> yeah. with that organ music. Well, or it was a harpsichord. Ever. And for those of you who are students of classical music, 
uh, you'll appreciate the fact that uh, that was written in the 1720s, oh. a Handel piece. Thank so, you. You're welcome. Thank you for that detail-oriented <laughs> excerpt. So the last great castrati was Veludi. He was well known for his diva-like behavior. He's always complaining that his dressing room wasn't big right. enough. Why aren't there just green M&Ms? Right. Yep. He performed in London in the 1820s. Uh, he was the first castrati to appear in 25 years. Italy, in the meantime, made castration illegal. Oh, good. Following uh, unification in the mid-19th century. In 1877, the Catholic Church prohibited the employment of castrati. Well, that's not fair. Some of the castrati lingered in church choirs, ones you know, that were grandfathered in, mm -hmm. which is an ironic term to use. And then there was Moreshi. Moreshi was known as the last castrato. He survived into the 20th century, and believe it or not, there are even some recordings that survive today. Do you have a piece for I, me to listen to? I do. Excellent. Check, Hold on. Check this out. Okay, my headphones are back on. Before I do, I have to kind of give you a, a, a visual image, a mental uh, picture. The guy, he, he's a big man, okay? He's like, think John Goodman. You know, he's a good-looking guy, mm -hmm. uh, just big and stocky. Okay. Yeah, but have you seen John Goodman? No, he's, I know this was he's way back, way slim. Yeah, this was back in the first Roseanne uh, time frame. That oh. that sort of big, like my my dream man. Yes, phase. Your, your dream man face. Yes, exactly. <sighs> I love John Goodman. So he's a big John Goodman like guy. You know, there was that one movie that he was in where he played like a a wealthy guy, and he he was mean to his wife, and I did not like him in that movie but other than that okay john goodman can do no wrong okay so anyway <laughs> picture this big guy he's like a kind of a john goodman looking guy i love you john goodman and here is a surviving recording I, you know, if you if you picture that coming out of like John Goodman's face, that gives you an idea of how unusual and unique, yeah, that was. Yeah, it, and I I appreciate. You know, art is one of those things. It's subjective, and we all like and appreciate different things. For instance, I I love John Goodman, but um, <laughs> but I didn't think that was very good. No, this was later in his career. I, you know, he was a little flat in part of that anyway. Okay. I thought so, too. Okay, thank I, you. you. Know, a thank little you. warbly, but uh, yeah. Warbly, yeah. yes. Although the castrated boys choir has uh, long since passed, the fame still echoes. Farinelli lived in Bologna until 1761 when he died. In 2006, they exhumed Farinelli's skeleton. And it was observed for scientific study. It did show that his body indeed had been impacted quite severely by castration. He was much taller than the average man at the time. And uh, he had long limb bones and a number of them had fused inadequately. Oof. I got most of my information from Wikipedia and History Extra. 
I, I don't love that big, at all. Big price to pay for stardom. Yeah. I did not like this. Thank you. But I did. I was able to work John Goodman in. That's true. And uh, believe me, I'd work John Goodman in. Here's some romantic music for you and, and John Goodman. And now, that thing in the middle. Nowadays, it seems like there's a conference or a seminar for just about any topic or subject you can think of. In London, they have an annual Boring Conference. At the Boring Conference, they discuss monotonous things like sneezing, toast, and font types. Also, the sounds that vending machines make. Reserve your spot before it's too late. So here's something interesting. That thing in the middle you just heard was actually... Oops, pizza's here. Finish this liner by yourself. I'm a hungry curator. This is The Box of Oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Got an email from Kat, not our cat but another another cat well i I guess she's our cat too but you know not you probably i i would just tell you rather than emailing you dear cat and jethro i'm a long listener and love every bit of your podcast my cat twix developed 
stoma, stomatitis? Is that a is that stomatitis? Sure. Stomatitis? Beatitude. This is basically a reddening and swelling of the gums. Sometimes oh. mouth sores happen too. So you can imagine the kind of pain that this causes. Twix eventually stopped eating and would only eat if she was hand fed. This is where your podcast comes in. Oh. Come mealtime, I'd place Twix in a carrier. I would bring the carrier to my bed, place it between my legs, elevate it slightly with my tights so I wouldn't have to bend down when I started uh, giving Twix her food. It was hard since she wasn't interested because of the pain. I started listening to your podcast while feeding her and came to realize that the moment the theme music started playing, it signaled to Twix it was time to eat. This became our routine. Start podcast, hand feed. Well, I'm happy to report that Twix is finally eating on her own. The uh, stomatitis has subsided, but she insists that your podcast be played while she eats. I've since listened to everything about three times now. I don't mind. So thank you. Not only are you entertaining, but you're also saving lives. Your podcast healed my cat sincerely fellow freak and it says kate at the bottom but it says cat at the top so Aww. there you go thanks thanks kate cat i love that katie cat the- <laughs> just keep in mind that uh, whoever your cat sitter is is gonna have to be kind of weird they're gonna <laughs> yeah, take yeah. care of the cat right. properly right you have to indoctrinate them into the freak family <laughs> what you got for me girl ask me ask me about the biggest bathroom what? Say, say where's the what? biggest, say where's the biggest bathroom? Say, say it. Say, Kat, where, where's the biggest bathroom? Oh, I'm glad that you asked. Um, so the biggest bathroom in the world is located in Chongqing, China. It's known as Foreigner's Street. And there is this Egyptian-themed restroom called the Porcelain Palace. <laughs> And it's on Foreigner Street? Foreigner Street. Okay. Which is essentially just like a tourist trap. Yeah. And um, it was built with the idea that this 1,000 toilet restroom would be a tourist attraction. And what a wonderful tourist attraction where you don't have to ask where the restroom is. Or stand in line. (laughs) Probably. I mean, it depends on how many tourists are there, I guess. Sure. It's 32,290 square feet, four stories high. And as I said, have, it has a thousand toilets. The bathroom also features calm music, TVs, (laughs) and interestingly shaped urinals. Oh. Now, according to the World Record Academy, Um, which, of course, is the leading international organization which verifies and certifies world records, Uh, they have certified this as a world record. It's included in their 2008 edition of the Guinness World Record Book. And uh, Chinese officials got their certificate for the world record in 2008. World's biggest shitter. (laughs) Now, some, as I said, of the urinals are uniquely shaped, um, which has in in some cases created kind of a problem. Uh, There are urinals in the shape of like a, a Crab claw. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Uh-huh. Um, there are urinals in the shape of open crocodile mouths. Mm-hmm. There are several topped with the bust of a woman who 
really resembles the Virgin Mary. Oh no! And that oh, that no. so you're kind of peeing into her open torso. It's yeah. very strange. Yeah, that's weird. Now, when I'm in a public restroom and there's people standing behind me, even if it's just a normal urinal, mm-hmm. I'll often get stage fright. But if I have to on the Virgin Mary's, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be hard for me. You're going to want me to cut that out, aren't you? No, no, no. I'm shocked. (laughs) The uh, Porcelain Palace has been purged recently of all the artwork and facilities that could be seen as vulgar by Chinese authorities. They, as as I said, this is supposed to be a tourist attraction, and so they want to kind of keep it a little bit cleaner. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the Virgin Mary urinals have been removed. Okay, good. Um, But a tourism official expects that it will continue to be a hit among visitors after they use the bathroom he said, they will be very, very happy, which I usually am. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it depends. After. You know, sometimes I'm Well, extremely... no, if I use depends, I'm never happy. <laughs> that is never a good time unless I'm going yeah. into space. Yeah, right. No, I mean, uh, it, it, as far as diet goes, you know, sometimes it's oh, a sure. little more enjoyable than sure. others. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like when I had asparagus the other day, but I didn't know it until about 2.30 a.m. And I was like, hey, there was asparagus on my pizza. <laughs> Did you know? Yeah. She woke okay. me up to let me know that. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. You, I'm terrible right. to live with. No, you're not. Now, let's talk about the southeast bathroom. Now, I don't mean like southeast Boston. Um, we're talking South Pole here. Ooh. And that title belongs to the Edmondson Scott South Pole Station building. There is a urinal constructed about 350 meters from the geographic South Pole, and it actually drifts about 10 meters closer to the pole every year. So it's a seasonal thing. It's a <laughs> seasonal tourism. The uh, Of course, the continent is protected under the Protocol on Environmental Protection, um, which stipulates that the amount of waste produced or disposed of in Antarctica should be minimized to protect the environment and such. Um, it's pretty much the most pristine place in the world and they want to try to keep it that way and so the question is what do we do with our duders and (laughs) in 2003 the mcmurdo station got its very own waste treatment plant connected to its network of flush toilets in the south pole Uh, the waste gets mashed up by two JWC environmental muffin monster grinders, which I have never thought that those words would all come out of my mouth at the same time. And the particles then go under UV disinfection, and then the liquid part of the leftover product gets pumped into the ocean uh, because it has been disinfected. I see. And then the, the the waste part, the solid part that's left over, gets shipped back to the U.S. on cargo ships. Oh, I thought they'd maybe plant potatoes. Oh, like a Martian kind like, of situation. Like a Matt Damon like a kind Matt of Damon yeah. situation. That was like freeze-dried poop that yeah, he used. That's true, yeah. Yeah, we should watch that. I swear, that's one of those movies I can watch like every six months and I'd be fine. But, you know, I like the, I like the Matt Damon. More than the John Goodman? No. All right. Let's go underwater. The Hippopopapa Cafe mm-hmm. is a, a a lovely little establishment where you can get some snurks and drink some beverages. Uh, but the real draw is the mesmerizing toilet. 
The owner of this cafe spent over $270,000 to install floor-to-ceiling aquariums on every side of the bathroom. So you open up the bathroom stall, uh-huh. and there are floor-to-ceiling aquariums <laughs> on all sides of you. Oh, how cool. It's amazing. Um, of course, one of the problems is that people spend a lot more time in the mm-hmm. shitter, mm-hmm. Um, or they refuse to go in altogether. They're, huh. Well, it's scary, I guess, for some people because of all the, uh, you know, exotic fish and sea turtles watching you. Right. And, and you, the thought probably goes through your head. Is the plumbing connected to that somehow? And when I'm sitting down, <laughs> is a snapping turtle going to eat my ass? I don't, oh, my goodness. I don't think. Again. <laughs> Yeah, um, I don't know that that's the concern so much, but maybe, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> I thought of more of like, what if this collapses on me, you know? No, I just, but, I always think about stuff like that when I'm, when like I'm in a turtles public... turtles eating your ass? Yeah, well, not necessarily turtles. Like a terrapin toss salad kind of situation? No, 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 not really. Um, but, you know, I did, we are moving to Florida. Yes. And, and I did live We can in, say it now. Yeah. And, and I did live in Florida for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing stories of um, snakes curled up in the toilet. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. In public restrooms. Right. Like, well, not, well, you know, like the kind that you use at a, at a, at a public park. Oh, okay. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, They'd be right in the toilet bowl. Right. And uh, that's like nightmare fuel. Yeah, I mean, but it, like you said, the it's not connected. You're no, not no, you're not no. pooping into this aquarium. No, thank goodness for that. <sighs> so weird. Um, but it's to give you that that feeling that you're you're in the ocean, and I imagine that it's pretty bizarre and surreal <laughs> to be sitting there looking at. You know, if, yeah, anyway, so uh, I would like to go. Thank you very much. Um, And I would go. Yeah, you would. You'd be able to. I'd be in there going, turtles ate my ass. I don't don't think I'd be able to poop, though. I don't know. I've seen your reaction to baby goats. (laughs) No, that was was William that pooped when he saw a baby goat. That's true. But I could tell by the look on your face yeah. that you were close to I was close. joining that's, him. That's true. The Safe House is a spy-themed bar and restaurant. Um, I believe we've talked about it before. Um, we did an episode many moons ago about weird restaurants. And I think this one came up. Um, you need to have a password to get in and you enter through a fake bookshelf. Oh, yeah. It's a whole yeah, yeah. like speakeasy love it. spy kind of vibe. And it sounds absolutely amazing. And this one in Milwaukee has an extra special bathroom situation where in order to use the restroom, you have to navigate through a series of complicated mazes and avoid a trick door. So you have to kind of think ahead because the journey from your table to the actual toilet could take up to 15 minutes. So you can't be one of those people who waits until the last minute and is like, oh, I'm just going to scootle to the potty. No, you're not going to scootle anywhere. <laughs> you're going to uh, be stopped uh, by a photo of Burt Reynolds with a movable metal hinged heart over his penis. Um, and uh, apparently, hmm. if you open the hinged heart to sneak a peeky at Burt Reynolds' uh, wiener, which who hasn't seen it, um, the whole bar is alerted 
that you opened oh. the heart, which I think is hilarious. <clears throat> also, for the men's room, uh, don't be tricked by the two doors. Behind one, there's a brick wall and a sign that says, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> the other actually does lead to the restroom, where there are two stalls labeled FBI and CIA. You know what they should do? This would be great. I love the idea of combining entertainment with bathroom going. Okay. They should have escape restrooms. Oh, that's a great idea. You know, you, you go in and you you can't even, you know, take care of business until you solve your way out. Okay. I like the idea of doing my business and then I can solve the yeah, riddle. But it'd be a lot more entertaining. What you do is you put like uh, closed circuit TV cameras in there and then all the mm, diners. Nope, you've already lost me. There should be no cameras in a bathroom. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in <laughs> the, in, in the holding, holding room, oh, okay. they, they put you in an escape room. The exit will allow you to go through a restroom. Okay. Exit through the restroom. And so you put people in there that really have to go bad, uh-huh. and then we just watch them solve the puzzle. Oh, wow. That sounds really interesting. It could get messy, though. And so I vote P first. Where's your sense of adventure? Um, so we've got to go to Milwaukee, not just because this sounds like an absolute blast, but also because they've got a pretzels and beer cheese on the menu that looks oh, great. Fantastic. So, yeah. Good. How about, though, transparent toilet stalls? Uh, no. Now, of course, when you go to, like, a public restroom, like you said, in a park, for instance, um, there are a couple of concerns. One is cleanliness, and the other is, like, is there someone already in there? And then do you do the knock? And then if someone knocks, what do you say? Do you say, like, the occupado? Mm-hmm. Like, I always end up saying something in some sort of weird pitch that is not my actual voice. I don't know why I can't speak like a normal person when I'm saying, I will be out shortly. <laughs> I cannot say that. The, the words that come out of my face are always varied and stupid. And I I need, like, some sort of practice. Like, I will exit shortly. <laughs> I don't know why I can't say things right. Yeah. When I'm in a restroom, I get so nervous. It's like some kind of a self-defense mechanism. Acupado! <sighs> yeah. Is it like... It's the goat. When that happens, mm-hmm. somebody knocks on the yes, like in an airplane. You're yeah. in the airplane and you can't you can't hold it. You have to go. You're in there. I and try somebody's so like, hard never to. And you're like, occupado. Uh-huh. And then if that happens to me, I'll stay in there extra long so that they'll get discouraged and leave. Because when I step out, I don't want them to know I was in there. That yeah. I was the one. Oh, I understand. Especially if the person before me stunk the whole place up and they think it's me. Right. I don't want that. I understand that. Not at 40,000 feet, my friend. <laughs> no. Um, but then again, if they are a patient person, they just think that something's gone terribly wrong in there. <laughs> and, that's, and That's true. If there's stink, it was definitely your doing. So it's a high altitude game of chicken with one's bowels. <laughs> yep. yep. So anyway, uh, transparent walls can address both of the issues that we just discussed. Is there someone in the bathroom? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Is it clean? Mm -hmm. With transparent walls, you know. So there are these new technology, uh, high fashion restrooms that have been made by a group called the Tokyo Toilet Project. And they have enlisted some really like high-end, amazing architects, world famous, in fact, to create 
toilets like you've never seen. So they are redesigning 17 public toilets uh, for some of the busier shopping districts. And the idea is that the walls are clear. And after you go in and lock the door, the walls turn to a powdery pastel shade. So they're no longer see-through. Okay. So not even translucent. No. You can't see shadows. You can't see shadows or anything like that. Um, and immediately I picture someone like with their arms outstretched to either side of the, the bathroom stall, like with their legs up in the air, like, Aah! but that's, that's not something that you could see, even if, if that did happen. Let me ask you a question. If, if the technology provided for this, you go in, you, you, you close the door, you lock it, mm-hmm. the walls become, um, frosted over yeah. from the outside, but on, from the inside, you can still see everything perfectly. That's my next one. Really? Yeah. Would you poop in a stall like that? No. No. What if it didn't work that one right. time? I'd keep popping my head out to make sure the walls were fogged. Yeah, which means that you'd probably get arrested. Probably. Yeah. Again. But yeah, there was a um, first exhibited in London in 2003. Uh, there was a see-through loo, if you will. Um, and it was a conceptual art piece created by Monica Bonvinci. And so the idea is that you can see clearly out, but on the exterior, it looks mirrored. So it's like a two-way mirror Mm -hmm. bathroom. But again, I don't know. Nope. What if it, would it, yeah. What if it broke that one time? I'd have this, a similar feeling to the one I'd have if I was swimming across one of those glass bottom pools between skyscrapers. Oh, for real. Yeah. Or those uh, bridges that cross canyons that have the glass bottom. Yes. Which I saw today a video of one of those where the architect who built it also created like a little joke so that one of the panels, when you stepped on it, it was like a video screen oh. and it cracked, oh, that's, quote unquote. That's, but it does doesn't crack, yeah, you know, so yeah. you just freak out and shit yourself. Right. See, that's when this bathroom would come in handy. <laughs> yes, it would. But at least in these cases, you're using a, a restroom. And what is a common problem in big cities at night when people are all out yeah. having a good time? Peeing on dumpsters. Peeing on dumpsters. So in Europe, there is a new trend of creating these stainless steel bathroom cylinders that pop up at night. Oh. During the day... They lower into the ground. They, you know, probably just look like a manhole cover or something. All right. But during the nighttime, they pop up and they're available for you to pee for your your nighttime revelries. For for both men and women? Yes. Okay. So they have a a urinal and and what do they call them? Sheenals? Herinal. I'm sorry. How have I never heard the joke Herinal before. I think it's a thing. I don't think so. Yeah, no, I think it was one of those late night TV mail order things. It was like a funnel. It was for women. Like the Shiwi? Kind of like the Shiwi. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I've always wanted a Shiwi. Oh, no, now I'm going to get a Shiwi. Happy birthday. Damn it. <laughs> anyway, um, the promotional video for this product, the Eurolift. Starts by saying indiscriminate urination. You come across it in just about every city, town, and village. Especially on St. Patrick's Day. Right? So it's timed to rise from the ground during the 
wee hours. Yes, because wee is another word for pee. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. Anyway, there's a Eurolift in Cambridge Circus, in uh, Amsterdam, in Belfast, and other select cities around hmm. Europe, which I think is pretty incredible. Now, if we're going to talk about dumping, I think that we should mention the luxury dump. And that's where we're going next. Tokyo's 13-story Daimaru department store. Each floor has its own restroom that is styled to match the ambiance of the floor that it's on. So 13 stories, 13 different restrooms, 13 different beautiful vibes. There are Toto washlets in each of these restrooms. They feature a self-cleaning wand that extends to the middle of the basin, squirting temperature-controlled water at all the right angles. There is a heated seat, uh, which you can control. There is a sound princess to disguise install activities. <laughs> Why aren't these standard equipment for all public restrooms? I absolutely agree. Just some white noise. Right. That's it, all. In in more than one circumstance, I have considered pulling up my sleep stories from the Calm app to play like while I'm in the yeah. restroom. Yeah. Just like, don't listen to me. <laughs> Listen to Stephen Fry talk about lavender. Anyway, those are some restrooms that you could visit. Uh, I got most of my information from Guinness. Uh, Luxury launches, www.urinal.net, npr.org, Wikipedia, of course, and travel and leisure. Well, considering the nature of your story, I'm glad I went first. So you could be number two. Bad jokes. Oh, you're fun. Thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. Uh, Again, we're looking forward to hitting the road the end of August and uh, doing our show from wherever the hell we are (laughs) at that time. It could be uh, in a public restroom. We don't know. We don't know. It could happen. If it's a nice one with one of those detachable wands. In a a white noise machine. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so... Let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2021 All rights reserved Occupado. Don't try the goat.